Greetings, I am Erin Patton, metaphysical master in a millennial age, and it is my life's purpose to guide you and organizations along an enlightened path. So I invite you to sit comfortably and tune in as I welcome you to the Meta Business Millennial, where we get the real conversations you won't get in the boardroom so that we understand this is exactly the path we need to be on in order to grow, evolve, and thrive. Greetings, I am Erin Patton, also known as Master L, and welcome to the Meta Business Millennial Podcast. I am joined here today with my Harvard sister, Ms. Z Clark, and I am so honored to have her on the show I have to share a little bit of background on how we met because I had actually got introduced to your work through a Harvard business alum, or maybe it was a Harvard University alum email about breath work. And I started following you then. And so when I got, we got connected through our mutual friend, it was like God's timing. So I'm really grateful to have you on the show. Someone who understands the Harvard to healing journey and is doing the work. I'm just honored. Thank you so much, C, for being here. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. And when we got introduced, I was like, oh, we are both unicorns. I was like, hello, my sister. Yes. Very, very. not um, that common of a thing for Harvard Business School folks to be on this path. Right. At all. And let's talk about that because <laughs> you had just brought up this idea that there are some folks in your class who are just now exploring spirituality. And it's interesting that in business, we aren't finding people talking about the tough things. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially what this life path has called us to do. So I really want to get into how and what brought you to this journey, because obviously business is not quite necessarily the, the, the environment for which we can have these healing discussions. So what was that transition or what was that journey like for you? Yeah, you know, a lot of people that go into healing work, they usually have a story. It usually involves their own personal trauma and pain. And so uh, me too, right? <laughs> um, I'm, I don't even know where to begin. I, I think I'm actually going to start with childhood a little bit. Um, so I grew up in Washington, D.C., um, and I grew up in a low-income, predominantly Black neighborhood, and then I went to school at a, I got a scholarship to go to a private school at a you know, predominantly white, very affluent um, institution, and so I bring that up to say that the feelings that I experienced on the first day of school when I was eight years old are very similar to the feelings that I experienced at work and in my corporate life, which meant at, you know, a lot of imposter syndrome, a lot of, you know, I showed up eight years old, the only person whose parents weren't rich, it felt like, right? Like I didn't live in a mansion. I didn't feel like I was rich enough, white enough or smart enough because I didn't have tutors since I was like two years old trying to prepare me for the SATs. Like it was crazy and intense in this environment. And so, you know, fast forward, I went to Harvard for undergrad. I went to Harvard Business School, as you know, and then I was in corporate America for 20 years, um, you know, financial services, but the majority of my time was in the tech industry. So Silicon Valley, which is predominantly male. So very often I would be the only woman in the room um, and almost always the only black person or black woman in the room, on the floor, in the building at one company, I was the only black woman at the entire company 
until they hired a receptionist and then they fired the receptionist, right? And so what that meant was a lot of microaggressions on a daily basis. People would say stuff to me that was offensive, that kind of had me on edge, that made me feel like I constantly needed to prove that I deserved to be there. So I was working nights, working weekends. Burnout is real. And so what happened to me was my self-esteem was in the gutter. I cried a lot. I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. And ultimately, my doctor said, something's got to change with your stress levels, or this is not sustainable. Like, you're not going to be okay. And that's when I quit, blew up my life, quit my job, left the Bay Area, went to India, studied yoga, meditation, breath work. I'm a sound healer with Tibetan singing bowls and all of these tools that helped me to feel better and not just better, the best I had felt in my entire life. That's kind of how I got here was taking a pause from the corporate. Yeah. Oh, there's so much in that because one thing that people always ask me, um, particularly as a woman of color, is how could you stop? Like, we got bills to pay. We got family to take care of. We have... Um, all these pressures of just, what do you mean you don't have a job? You ain't got no job, you know? <laughs> so uh, really, I, I want to understand sort of the nuances of how did you navigate those really real um, challenges? Because, you know, folks are, I'm sure that are listening are like, I feel this way. I'm getting microaggressed and I'm not even black, you know, like, you know, so, and I want to quit my job, but what am I going to do to pay my bills? What am I going to do? I can't just go to India. So I really want you to kind of talk through the, these decisions on a, a very kind of strategic level, because this could really, have, I feel like it serves someone well. Yeah. It wasn't an easy decision. I had all of those things that you said were in my head. Uh, I also, you know, I grew up without that much money, right? So a scarcity mindset is like ingrained in my blood that I had been working to deep, you know, deprogram and it's hard and it's a process and I've gotten, I've come a long way, but I'm still, it's still inside a little bit, right? Um, I will tell you that I had a few friends, like maybe three or four people that I knew that had taken a sabbatical. Now, these were all white women. And here's the question that I had is, am I going to be able to get a job afterwards? They can, they can, but can I? Now, it was helpful to see that they did. So then to see that they stopped working and then they went back and they were able to get jobs. And I was like, okay, it's po I know it's possible, but is it possible for me? I was also able to see, kind of ask them really hard questions like, what did you do? How did you budget for this? How did you plan for this? So I didn't just wake up one day and quit my job. Like it was a process of me being like, I can't be here anymore. I can't be here anymore. And, you know, it's kind of like, um, I just once I decided I was going to do it, then, you know, when you have to go to the bathroom, like you have to pee. And you're, you're like, you're in a car or you're far away from a bathroom, you have to pee, right? You're like, I can hold it. I can hold it. But the closer that you get to the bathroom, the more you have to actually pee your pants in that moment. That's the way I felt about quitting my job. And so I was very unhappy. I experienced a lot of challenges, um, interpersonal relationships, racism, microaggressions, glass ceiling, like all of the things. And 
having those models of other people having done it, I planned like a very conservative person. So I was like, okay, how much am I going to spend? Uh, I, you know, it was maybe a year, a whole year of me planning for this, like saving money, making my budget. Um, and also just like giving myself grace that it was going to be okay. Um, kind of comforting myself. My meditation practice was very powerful in that as well to just believe and to have faith that the universe was going to take care of me. And I'm risk averse. So I was like, okay, and how much money do I need in my bank account? And how long will I will it take me to find a job? So I even calculated the like, all right, worst case scenario, it takes me six months or a year once I start looking, but I'm giving myself a year of like, just let myself be, let myself heal. And honestly, while it seems like it was a choice, I was in so much pain, it was not a choice. I couldn't, I just couldn't be there anymore. Mm. I I love that you, you talked about a lot of things here. Of course, you talked about the strategy and the actual logical steps that you took to do this. But one thing that you brought up was that scarcity mindset and the fact that you actually engaged in meditation practice to allow you to have the patience to endure this year of saving and waiting. And I believe this is the hardest part for folks that are going through a transitional period, whether it's coming out of a situation or in a relationship there's so many areas in which we're having to wait for something in our lives and in that waiting we have to do the work and it wasn't like you were waiting to get there before you did the work you were like i'm meditating now i'm doing breath work now i'm i'm shifting my programming around money and my money scarcity mindset now and that's critical yeah that's totally agree with that. And even things like visualization, right? Like focusing my attention on how I want my life to be, how I want to feel. Um, honestly, at that time, I was so swamped, like, as I said, working nights, working weekends, that uh, even the idea of visualizing a life when I wasn't so stressed was like hard because it was just all that I knew, you know, like my whole life. So um, powerful practices and when applied to one's life journey and one life's path can be so helpful in giving you the tools and the confidence and the comfort to really live the life that you desire. Yes. Oh my God. That's so spot on because the visualizing of what you want is actually some of the most uncomfortable work period because we're so used to self-sabotaging we're so used to what isn't aligned with our highest self because that's essentially what we've been living for the past 20 30 40 years that it actually feels more comfortable to be in a scarcity mindset to feel like i'll never get what i want to feel like i'll always be broke it actually feels safe Yet to imagine a life where you're living in a penthouse, to imagine a life that you're free to do what you want and spend what you want actually feels uncomfortable. It yeah. feels uncomfortable. So um, talk about kind of like shifting that, that emotional aspect, especially when you got to India and you started to study yoga and study these things. What was that process like to sort of shift your programming around your old ways mm -hmm. and behaviors? Well, you know, it's interesting because today I teach these practices in corporate environments. And so I try to take what people might call woo-woo and bring it to folks that might not 
be there yet, you know? And I, and so I try to bring as much science into it as possible. And so, you know, I want to bring in the term neuroplasticity and the fact that we can reprogram our brains, but it requires repetition. It requires, it's like flexing a muscle that we have to do over and over again. So my journey was a process. You are very right. It was very uncomfortable. And one just believing that it was possible, right? Like that, that's just the, the, to be, to, to believe that I was worth it, that I, that I deserved to have what I wanted in life. And so my journey, a lot of pain, I got to India and I just, you know, I, I did yoga teacher training. Um, I studied sound healing. And so when you learn these tools, you first have to start within. And in fact, I didn't go there planning to teach. I went there to fix myself because I was broken. That's the way I thought about myself at that time, that I, I felt like I was broken and I needed to be fixed. And so it was a lot of inner work, a lot of um, going deep inside and trying to get to the root of the root of the root of the problem, right? So problem wasn't just my job. Now, sure, yes, there were some issues, right? Society is the way it is, and we have a long way to go uh, as a community and as a world. But also, there was stuff inside of me that was from my childhood, for example, things from early, early days um, that affected me still, right? I mean, even I just uh, posted something recently um, on imposter syndrome, and um, and there was a quote that was like, who are you uninterrupted? Who are you uninterrupted? Like if nothing stood in your way of being your best self, living your dream, like, you know, being all the amazing things that you want to be, that you can be, that you are, who, who are you then uninterrupted? And then the question is, well, what interrupted you in the first place? And that is what I dug into when I was yeah, when I went on silent meditation retreats where for 10 days straight, you're meditating for 11 hours a day, not talking to anybody. And you have to face you. You have to face what's inside of you and that pain that, you know what? I just kept busy before. I would just be busy and surrounded by people. So I ignored it. I tried to sweep it under the rug. And you know what happened? It built up, it built up, it built up over time. And then it blew up in my face, right? <laughs> That's why, that's why these practices were so the discomfort was needed so that I could get to the comfort. Because if you ignore something, it's not just going to go away. They say the only way past is through. And so looking at not just, sure, scarcity mindset was one of them from, you know, being close to homelessness when I was a child, right? But it's, it's more, but it's more than that. It's, uh, you know, like, for example, my father was very demanding. And, um, and you know, we used to get spanked. Some people use the word beaten, right? And so fear was the, the way that discipline was implemented. And fear followed through even in my adulthood. So that even though it wasn't my voice, it would be the voices of the criticism that I would hear in my childhood that I just internalized. And so those voices that I'm not good enough, those voices that I, you know, that I like will never get to the point that I want to because I just wasn't capable, right? Um, and so it just, it was, it was rough. There were a lot of tears. I also wrote a lot of letters. 
Mm. Oh my God. I wrote the letters just for my own feelings. And then I yes. Yes. sent the letters. <laughs> that yes. to family members, right? Yes. The people that, you know, and it was, it was a uh, it was really good for my own healing to to let it all out. So yes. I love that you shared such detail about your own personal journey because I'm sure there are a lot of folks out there that have gone through that themselves, are going through it. And what I want to start to move into is how you do this work in corporate environments because this is the meta business millennial. This is the work that the meta business world does. And this is what's going to really tip the needle in our view of how the world's going to shift as our, essentially our work environments have to change. Yeah. So I would love for you to share more detail about how you, first of all, decided to do that. I mean, it makes perfect sense to me, but maybe other people may not be in a aligned kind of path. Yeah. And then what is it that you found to have been the most sort of rewarding aspects or things that have come out of um, these um, sessions and, and activities you do in corporate environments? Yeah. Well, let me start with how I got here. Um, yeah. so I took almost two years off of working. Um, I was traveling the world. I was in India. I was in Peru with the shaman. I was traveling around the Southwest, living out of my car, kind of really getting inspiration from indigenous cultures. Um, and then, you know, we do live in this reality, right? So finances are, uh, real, the bank account looks a certain way, and then it looks a different way. And then you got to take some actions to engage in this time space reality. So I got another corporate job, um, you know, Fortune 500 company on the leadership team. And that kind of coincided with the uh, summer of George Floyd, right? Um, and a lot, and being one of the only people of color in leadership, you by default get DEI projects and tasks and things to do. And so um, my colleagues, people were just I will just say it out loud. People were acting a fool during that period. People were saying things and doing things that were not okay. And in the workplace, even though um, my colleagues' intentions might have been good, um, a microaggression sometimes is unintentional. You might not know the impact. So I'm going to work and people are like, when I see you, I don't see color. And yet on Saturday, two days earlier, I was attacked by the police for playing the violin in a park to honor the life of Elijah McClain, who was a black violinist who was also a vegetarian. I'm a, I'm a vegan black violinist. So I was like, uh, and I was playing violin with other violinists when the riot police came and attacked us with tear gas, right? So that happens to me on a Saturday. And on a Monday, I have a white colleague that says, when I see you, I don't see color. I got to tell you, it was a lot of those practices that I learned in India that I used in order to breathe through that moment to uh, still have a positive uh, collaboration relationship with my colleagues when they would say and do things that really triggered me, unintentional or not. Right? And so what I realized was that I had a lot of other Black friends that were the only at their offices and they were dealing with the same things. Coworkers saying and doing things, being uh, voluntold to do a lot of things as the only black person there. And that's when I had this idea. And this is when like, you know, I don't know where this idea came. I just woke up, you know, sometimes that's, that's how, right? Like you receive. 
there you go. And I woke up and I was like, this is what I need to do. And so I suddenly had all of these workshops in my head of things that I teach. So today I teach mindfulness to heal from microaggressions at work. I teach countering imposter syndrome. I teach rejuvenation from black fatigue. And usually to the black employee resource groups or Latinx employee resource groups or women employee resource groups working with the DEI teams. Um, and so that's what I've been doing. And then as I was doing that, you know, I had this reading where this woman told me that I was going to be a published author. And I was like, she, you know, how, you, I was like, she's crazy. <laughs> I didn't even think anything of it. And then a year later, I had a meeting and somebody said, have you ever thought about writing a book? And I said, um, I thought you had to be famous to write a book. And she said, just an agent. And I was like, okay. So I got a meeting with this woman's agent and she was like, this is how books get written. Write me a book proposal. If I like it, I'll represent you. And then the next thing, I wrote it in a week. I understand now that people take a lot longer to write their book proposals. I wrote, it was all the download, right? It was, it just flowed out of me immediately. Then I had competing offers for my book, which is Black, I have it right here, Black People Breathe, right? And, and, and this book, every chapter is something that happens to Black people and mindfulness and breathwork tools um, that, you know, Black people can use, but we all can use uh, when we experience challenges, whether we're triggered, we have anxiety, um, fear, um, you know, frustration, anything like that. And so I guess I'll say that it's like, how did this happen? the universe helped this to happen. My I was healed. My channels were open. My heart was full. And then I was ready. And I try to keep it as secular as possible in the workplace because people have different beliefs. And this, I'm not teaching people about Buddhism or Hinduism. I'm telling you that when you're anxious, do this breathing practice so that you can calm your anxiety and go to sleep. Or when you're, when you're distracted, you can do this breathing practice and then you can be focused and you can concentrate better. That sounds so beautiful. And, you know, at the end of the day, this is what this life is about. You know, we go to work, like you said, to get the means to pay our bills, to do the things, but we have to do the inner work in order to make the human to human engagement more enjoyable. Because at the end of the day, whether we're black, we're brown, we're white, we're Chinese, whatever, Asian, you know, we all are carrying so much of our own shit, period. And, you know, people are going to always infringe on us, whatever the case may be. However, in the moment, we have to honor each other. We have to respect each other. And we have to work together. Yeah. And these are very simple tools that enable that work to happen. And mm -hmm. that work like these starts within. Yes, exactly. Because when we don't feel good inside, who knows what can happen, right? First of all, our productivity is going to be down the drain, our confidence levels, right? All of those things, but also how we engage with others, right? So like when people said stuff that was offensive to me at work, I could have cussed them out. And, you know, I grew up in DC and that's how we did. That's how we did when I grew up. Okay. <laughs> but, but the breathing practices helped me to look woosah a little bit in the moment and, and, and pause and say, okay, well, where is this coming from, from their end? How can I live with love? How can I educate if I feel like it or not educate because I'm tired and have love for myself? Yeah, part. Because when we respond and react in a way that's generally kind of coming from our old programming, like you said, the cussing people out, it actually does more harm to us than it does to the other person. Because the other person can easily write it off as, oh, this bitch crazy or whatever. They're, you know, 
whoa, I guess she's having a bad day. But when we're not letting go of all that we've kind of built up and pent up over these years, we are actually becoming what I call dis-ease. We're at a dis-ease state. Yes. And this is why we see so many people in our community with disease. You know, with these, you know, these preconditions, they call the diabetes, the high blood pressure, the heart attacks, these things, the strokes, because we are not clearing all that's backed up on the inside. Yes, I have a quote that um, I want to share with you, which is a Nelson Mandela quote. That mm -hmm. It is resentment is like drinking poison and hoping that your enemy dies. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's it. And as in, in because your your work to specifically focus on people of color, this is essentially our challenge as a community, as a collective, is how are we able or how are we gonna do the work to release this resentment mm. of the oppression, of the oppressor mind, the colonized mind, because you know, we're past it now. And the more we hold on to it, the more we raw, raw anger, anger around it, the more chaos and disease it's creating in our own selves and our own communities. And this is why this work is so important. Yeah, I um I totally agree with that. And I also want to just share the importance of feeling the feelings first. So like be mad. Feel the anger. Notice where the anger is living in your body. Is it making your chest tight, your shoulders, right? Is it in your stomach? And just be present and be compassionate for what you're going through because what you're going through and feeling is valid, whatever is the cause, whether it's racism or the guy that cut you off on the on the highway, right? Or or whatever is causing you uh, you know, disease right now. It's like it's so, and I think that's something that I learned in this process is that I was always taught to ignore. I was always taught to sweep it under the rug, that there was no space for feelings. I think it's so important. Mindfulness is about focusing your attention on what's happening right here, right now, without judgment, with curiosity and without judgment. And so whatever it is you might be going through, pay attention to it, feel the feelings. The only way past is through and then start the healing process. Yes, that's super important and a step that you can't skip because you're going to have to feel the feels. And this work is, uh, the healing work is feeling work. Mm. And the feeling work is painful work. It's painful. <laughs> People don't realize how painful our emotions are. Like, even if it's just, you know, you liking somebody and they don't like you back, that's pretty painful too. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, but it's it's like that. And, and when we are allowing those emotions to flow, when we're allowing that energy to move through us, that's how we begin to clear. That's how we begin to heal. And we really are able to start to see the world as the world around us for what it is. Yes, totally. And I feel, mm -hmm. you know, I had a, um, I was in a really dark time um, at a certain moment on my journey. And my therapist said to me, how do you want to also therapy? Everybody go to therapy. Okay. Um, my therapist said to me, How do you want to feel on the other side? And I was in such a dark place. I looked at her just straight face and was like, What other side? Right. So, so the point is that like we it's phases. You know what I mean? It's phases. You got to feel the pain 
and then and then think about what will help me to feel better right now what can I do yeah. to feel better yes I love that and I feel like that's a great place to kind of close it out and just share with our listeners and our viewers how can they stay in touch with you how can they engage with some of your offerings yeah. and maybe how they can you know follow you on on social media Totally. Well, you can learn more about my work at zclark.com, Z-E-E-C-L-A-R-K-E.com. Um, on social media, TikTok, Instagram, I'm zclarkbreeds. And I'm also starting something in January of 2024 called Breathwork at Work, which is a series of workshops for the entire workforce. So if the work that I've done to date has been primarily focused on people of color. I've gotten a lot of requests from people being like, hey, can you do this for my team? I either They're really stressed out right now. There's a launch or also I just want to reward them for a job well done. So there are six workshops, Stress Management 101, Channeling Focus and Productivity, Countering Imposter Syndrome, Managing Fatigue, Prioritizing Self-Care. And the last one is an experience. It's a breathwork and restorative sound bath experience to truly just help folks to yeah. Yes. Yes. And, you know, thank you so much for offering your gifts, offering your expertise and offer also your experience, mm -hmm. um, your beautiful experience to our audience. And if there are any closing remarks that you have for people and how they can start to, if they haven't already begun this journey or if they're in the middle of it, what kind of words do you offer them at this mm -hmm. time? You know, there's a mantra that I love, which is this today I choose me because often everybody else distracts us. You know, you're doing stuff for other people, whether it's your kids or your spouse or your parents or whatever, and you can't give them anything with an empty cup. So today I choose me. Today I'm I love, yes, I love that. And for all of you all who don't already know, again, I'm Erin Patton and I can be followed at I am Erin Patton. And also at the Meta Business World is our website where you can find more resources and offerings. And this is the Meta Business Millennial Podcast on YouTube and across social media channels. We're so grateful that you are here with us and that you stay with us all the way to the end. And we look forward to catching you on our next episode. Much love and light to you all. Peace. Did you really love this episode of the Meta Business Millennial Podcast? Well, I am honored and I appreciate you subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing it with your friends. In the meantime, stay bright, my friends. Much love and light. Peace.